I, I don't think climate change in most of the countries that I served in, if you look at, I, I look at Iran right now and, you know, why autocrats feel fe like fear females. I mean, this is quite the revolution that's going on. China, um, they're just trying to get out of the COVID. <laughs> like, right. They're, I mean, and, and you start to look at some of the major um, countries that are um, polluters. What's going on in their countries um, are, you know, they're just trying to normalize. <laughs> they're just trying, I mean, even um, look at the energy in Russia. I mean, they're at war. Um, and it's so, we, it's a luxury right now. Um, for us and, and for certain countries, for this to be our major platform and something to be thinking about. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, Life in the Time of Climate Change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, How It Looks matters. So we offer these interviews as ways of giving us all new ideas and inspiration for making our way forward together. Today I'm speaking with Ali Ramirez, Navy veteran and former diplomat with the Foreign Service who currently works as a physical therapist in Bozeman, Montana. Ali has multiple languages and, as you will hear, has lived in a wide variety of cultures around the world. Because of her experience and keen quality of attention, Ali brings perspectives that are at the same time personal and global. In our conversation today, we explore what Ali hopes listeners will consider about our global interconnection in all things. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. I'm so glad you could be here for this conversation. Same. Yeah. It's an honor. So, you know, I want to start out setting the scene a little bit for the listeners so that they know that you are a veteran and also a former diplomat with the Foreign Service. And also you have a doctorate in physical therapy. So you've got a lot of experience and uh, perspectives that you bring into your walking around the, the planet. Um, one of the things I like to ask early on in conversations on this podcast is, how does the world look to you right now? So that's a great question. Um, one of the things, so I'm a native of Bozeman, and this morning my my um, my dad and I were having coffee. I'm from here, and um, after 31 moves to a different country or state, I was able to move back here about five years ago and be home. And we were having this discussion, and the world is so different for so many people. And just to explain it, I have friends that are still serving overseas, and um, we Zoomed last week, and how one of them who has been stationed for the past four or five years, almost five years, 
in, let's just say, um, one of the countries that are still masked, um, her and her teenagers will be coming back to the States for the first time. And she talked about how it's going to be a very hard landing. And during that four to five years, um, she also lost her mom. And um, she was able to only say goodbye to her via ICU. And um, they have been masked for five years by the time they come back. And so what that's going to look like for them to come into the United States and not be wearing a mask um, with COVID um, is going to be a hard landing, is the way she phrased it. And I, I, I think COVID, for most of us, we feel like it's left, hopefully, you know, but for many, it is still very real. So the world for them and for so many of us is, um, is just different state to state, country by country, and to remember that. Yeah, yeah. And so the world to you looks familiar because you're back home, right. but you're also 31 different places, yeah. well aware how different the world can look depending on where you are. I was, um, I was in uh, Bogota, Colombia when 9-11 occurred and um, still had another year before I could even come back to the States. And there's a phrase um, I remember Admiral Olson saying about how we're all products of our last emotional experience, whether it's good or bad, and how that shifts us. And um, I remember coming back to the States after 9-11 and just everybody, we were just at different places. And um, we just have to be kind to people and realize that, you know, with all these, COVID was a, is a huge pandemic and um, how it has affected our lives. And just to be kind, hopefully, and, and understand that everyone's at a different place with it. Everyone sees it differently. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing that would help the listeners. What does it mean? What is a diplomat in the Foreign Service? <laughs> You were also in the Navy? That was your mm -hmm. branch? Okay. I was in the Navy for five years. I was a Russian linguist in the 90s and then um, spent a good decade in like the former Soviet Union and then um, went on and served at multiple embassies. And I was a political officer. There's cones. Um, what does that mean? So there's a political cone, economic cone, and this is kind of dated because I've been out now for a while and then would go in my 40s and get a doctorate in physical therapy. But um, as a political officer, it depended, for example, when I was in Kazakhstan, I worked on like non-Luger initiatives, non-proliferation. That was what my master's was in, um, non-proliferation studies. Um, and and then you could go to Colombia where I was at and you're working narco. <laughs> Which means? Um, um, Narco-terrorism, okay. um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it really depends on the country you're at. Yeah. And it's pretty um, pretty interesting. Well, and so the Foreign Service itself is a, brand, a part of the military? Not part? at all. Not at all. It's uh, part of the State Department. So I got out and then got picked up by them, and then I was a civilian with the U.S. State Department, um, and that's um, serving. I spent 12 out of 21 years overseas. And so then the diplomat part, mm -hmm. that is... Um, uh, designation that comes with being hired you're, by the Foreign Service? Yeah, you're commissioned uh, by the president. So uh, my commission that you see is from uh, Albright and Clinton. <laughs> oh, huh. Yeah. And then um, you have to resign your commission if you, when you leave, etc. Um, so it was, it was quite the ride. 
<laughs> and in those 11 years, is that when you were in those 31 different places? or 21 years. Just okay. because 12 out of 21, I was overseas. Um, in between that, you're back in your language school. I went to language school for Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, because I was in Portugal, um, Brazil, a lot of places. So, And you're back doing a lot of training as well. And and I was also at West Point. Um, my last tour was from 08 to 11. I was at the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point. As an instructor? Yeah. And what what was your, what were you teaching? Um, talked a lot on um, just narco-terrorism and stuff. Um, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. Well, so you know that this um, podcast has as the second part of its name, Life in the Time of COVID, cha- COVID Change. It used <laughs> to be Life in the Time of COVID, and now it's Life in the Time of Climate Change. And so what, um, what did you see over all those years? I know we were just, we weren't quite talking about climate change. We did have the language of global warming, and we did have the language, we did know that there might be some change afoot. What does the Foreign Service, how does the Foreign Service pay attention? Or how did they come to see what was going on over those years? Well, being a political officer, that wasn't exactly my wheelhouse, right? I was working more with um, elections and and different stuff. Um, Not uh, formally related, but we do have, or we did, again, I've been out of the picture for about 10 years in the Foreign Service, um, USAID, and um, as far as, it's it's a, a huge topic for sure. I, I think what I've noticed, though, is Americans in general don't pay a lot of attention to it um, as much as you would see um, overseas, and I'll give you an example. I was when I was in Diego Garcia in the Navy and doing beach cleanups and, and seeing um, the pollution um, going on in certain countries um, or just traveling amongst the states, you can see from state to state different types of um, uh, how individual um, states, even like uh, in New York, for example, I bike a lot and I remember cigarette butts being thrown at me. And or, hey, a lot of new people coming to Bozeman um, pick up after your dog, or they don't. And they mm-hmm. think the poop fairy is going to come and pick up, and they leave their bags everywhere. I, I still think when it comes to climate change, um, Americans were, were so, um, I don't think people, if they haven't traveled outside the U.S., and it's not a dig or anything, but we are so lucky and fortunate to have clean air to not be, uh, to be able to run and to, um, not have like our children being worried about our day to day and asthma and everything that we're doing. And I don't think we realize how much we pollute, um, this world and other countries do too. I mean, (laughs) um, you you go to India, Brazil, these places, I mean, massive, um, Mexico city, um, you understand that we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Globally. And and the implications of that, do you think of that? You were in the Navy five years, but do you think of that from a defense standpoint? Or what do you hmm. see, given what you've um, lived through? I really think we do not... 
I'm going to be honest um, with my background in nonproliferation. Um, initially, I'm very worried about um, Putin, and um, and I think we should be when we have nukes. I I remember just the other day because uh, I grew up here. Someone who's a neighbor who was uh, a year behind me in high school um, was like, "They don't still have nukes, do they?" I'm like, "Did didn't we grow up together?" <laughs> Didn't we? In the Cold War, it's still... So I'm very concerned about that. Um, and I don't mean to make the world scary, but mm-hmm. it's um, we should be thinking about that. Yeah. 07, I remember being in a meeting in Portugal where Putin... I was in the room with Putin, and he said to the Portuguese how great that they had such great climate, so they um, weren't reliant on his natural gas. And this is in 07. This is not new. And so Portugal is kind of the Florida of Europe. And so they have spent a lot of time um, on solar, which makes sense, and uh, wind. Germany, I didn't know this until um, about a month ago, that they, due to Chernobyl, gave up their um, nuclear power um, in the 80s and became reliant on Russia. And they gave up their nuclear power plants. Um, and guess what? They're now reliant on solar and wind. And I'm like, I don't know if you've been to Germany lately. They don't have a lot of sun. <laughs> so Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, so they're a little bit behind. And they were just talking about hopefully we'll wait out the winter. Um, well, nobody out... Um, Nobody does, like, how do I explain it? Russians are really good at being hard. <laughs> so um, I don't know that, um, you know, certain, like, the European Union is going to be able to wait them out in general. That's your, your experience, and, and you lived there for a yeah. good while, is that... Uh, they the... struggle well. Russians struggle okay. well. And the narrative in Russia is um, they, they believe, for the most part, what Putin is saying. So the, the consul general from Estonia, and, and a lot of people don't even know where Estonia is, but it's kind of like our Idaho or from uh, Montana. It's bordered up, and they have mixed families, right? And, um, like, her father-in-law um, was Russian or is Russian, and, and they are at odds um, about the war, you know, so... We have to remember that there's a narrative going on in Russia, and they believe in their cause. And um, you've got to—I mean, there's there's a lot going on, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to see a ripple effect um, for sure. This this isn't going away. And the the ripple, you mean, into the U.S. with um, if if we keep being at war, um, and to to think that we don't have, say, whatever on the ground. Um, I think would be very naive as in in Ukraine and fighting from. Oh, the that US we don't have investment or or, or, or people, yeah. Fighting, yeah. I mean, way. who? Right, <laughs> right. We we can't know because there's, yeah, we'll there see. are decisions that are being made in ways that the general public don't have access. Yep. Right. Um, the the speaking of Ukraine, um, of course, this does. Uh, especially with the things that Putin has said here in the last year or two, uh, but probably always been kind of playing with about 
saying don't you know don't think I won't use these nuclear weapons because I will. Um, the other th part of that related to all this climate change stuff is that war itself is really really damaging to the ecosystems. Is that oh, yeah. correct? I mean, I can't even imagine um, what's happening there. Um, you got the Black Sea, you've got the Caspian Sea, I mean, it's different, but I mean, uh, Russia and Iran, um, there's been a lot, like the oil war over there. And um, as far as ecologically, I just, war, war is a business though, it's profitable. And the impact, I can only imagine with the, the, the bombing and everything that's going on in Ukraine, in Syria, and all these, all these places that we don't even think about. Um, and, and I think it's convenient for us to not be thinking about it um, as we just hear, let's talk about Bozeman. I mean, it's either really, really cold or really, really hot lately. And uh, my parents still live in the same fourplex I grew up in, and they don't have air conditioning. Most people don't. And um, to think that's not going to have an impact on our elderly, on anyone here mm -hmm. for the most part, um, mm -hmm. especially if you can't afford it, because it's just going to keep getting warmer and warmer or colder. <laughs> right, right. And so other countries have already experienced this kind of thing. And they're going through it. You see it. Um, well, um, I see it. I don't. I don't know how many people really delve into the Economist or read the foreign policy or anything like that. But you see these waves in Europe and Africa and across the globe. And I hope. Is there so? Or do you see uh, social unrest arising from this kind of tension? Or are you talking about the the pressure on the the citizenry itself? I think from a global standpoint, we, especially in Bozeman, were, there's so much wealth. Uh, I know so many people who are vacationing to Europe this year. They're going to Italy, and they don't care about the high costs of gas and what they're going to pay because um, you can only imagine the heating bills because it's, it's just gone up exponentially. Um, but we have so much money. We're not even really asking, you know, I would just ask that we become active learners and not be passive. And so if you do travel abroad and or even travel outside your state to talk to people about this, like, how are you doing? How's that inflation? How is any of this, you know, get to know um, the locals? How's the weather? <laughs> Right. Yeah. How's the weather been lately? I mean, my How's... understanding, um, I have friends that live in Europe. I mean, their their um, energy bill is just like tripled. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Because they are so reliant on the natural gas mm -hmm. or energy mm -hmm. from Russia. And and you were there a while ago. A long time ago. Okay. So I'm you never don't have back. a real sense of, <laughs> of what... It feels like there is some opposition in Russia and that there are probably, I mean, just it seems to me that from being a part of the globe and having access to global information, that there are going to be people in Russia who are concerned about climate change. Sure. I don't think it's even for the majority, even on the forefront, like 
absolutely not. Um, and I, I don't think climate change in most of the countries that I served in um, and have lived is on the forefront. So would you then say that that's, it's, a, it's not a, unreal, but it is a luxury to get to attend to it mm -hmm. and think, to it, think about it? I mean, it's a privilege. If you look at, I, I look at Iran right now and, you know, why autocrats feel fe like fear females. I mean, this is quite the revolution that's going on. China, um, they're just trying to get out of the COVID. <laughs> like, right. They're, I mean, and, and you start to look at some of the major um, countries that are um, polluters. What's going on in their countries um, are, you know, they're just trying to normalize. <laughs> they're just trying, I mean, even um, look at the energy in Russia. I mean, they're at war with Ukraine. Um, and it's so, we, it's a luxury right now um, for us and, and for certain countries for this to be our major platform and something to be thinking about. So um, to answer your question, it doesn't, I, you know, I can't speak for um, any, anyone other than myself that lives in Montana now, but I would just say that the majority of the polluters, the bigger polluter countries, um, they've got so many other things <laughs> going on. I think it's a luxury to be able to, for, for the environment to be the first, the, one of the things that we should be talking about versus like famine versus oh, I see. just survival. Um, um, and there's so many countries out there that, um, you know, they're, they're, the people are just trying to to survive. So it's Maslow's hierarchy yes. of needs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so the very first ones are first concerns are food and shelter. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And then you, know, you start to go from there. The belonging comes up the list. I mean, imagine if, um, let's just say you're in Russia, I can only imagine they're wondering how far is this going to go. Right. <laughs> This thing Every with Ukraine. Day. Or Ukraine. I mean, imagine right. yes. Poland. Imagine the Baltics. Are, is it going to keep progressing? Mm -hmm. What's this going to look like? Mm -hmm. That would be, if I was in those countries, mm -hmm. right, um, what I'd be worried about, not what's going on with the climate. Okay, so <laughs> let's take that, because from your perspective as a, a former Foreign Service diplomat and as a veteran, you were, you were in the company of the the global leaders and the the leaders in on domestically who were making decisions and who were thinking about these kind of things what what is happening um in those kind of conversations and i know it's only speculation on your part but knowing what you know so when i was say in portugal which is a fabulous country and the people are amazing and i remember uh, we brought in USAID to go out to the Azores. Say, do those letters, because not all of our listeners will know what USAID means. <laughs> I don't even know if they're um, from 10 years ago. They were the U.S. Agriculture, I believe, Department. I can't remember. US, I, I just USAID. They, they work with agriculture. Okay. And um, they came out and to do a study um, and the... What they realized that of the Azores versus the pineapple that 
they would be really suited for um, blueberries. And, um, and so they just took that to heart because they were like, well, how, how do we best utilize, you know, our crops and stuff like that. And, and um, what we also found, though, is, is um, there was this push-pull with, you know, making money out in the Azores. And so you get the blueberries because the, the pineapple is a one and done, right? Mm-hmm, right. And, um, and this, this is a long time ago. This is, I was there from 04 to 08. And I just remember, um, because it's such a, a Catholic society at, at, um, at, at the time, and it seems to still be, um, the other recommendation we asked is, hey, possibly open up your shops on Sunday. Because our cruise ships, our big cruise ships came through on Sunday, but they were, sh- they were closed. And there was this push-pull between the older generation and the 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 newer generation saying, you know, hey, grandpa or dad, like maybe we could open for four hours on a Sunday when 6,000 Americans came in and wanted to buy that last magnet mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. blueberries or pineapple, anything from Portugal. And so, um, so just to give you an example of some of the client, you know, it, we, we, it is a discussion for sure. And it's with in every country. The climate change. Is climate change, and it's within every part of the embassy for mm-hmm. sure. But there's going to be other, depending on that embassy and that country, um, what they're going through, where it becomes the priority or not. So I hear you saying several things. That one of the things that um, government leaders are always going to be thinking about is economy. Yep. And that. And the environment. Uh, and for, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that 100%. while climate change is on people's radar and they're concerned about it. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and your first interest is food and shelter, even though you're not going to have any food or any shelter if the climate is messed up, the kind of thinking and connecting the dots that's necessary to do that, to understand that, that really wouldn't be bad if the first priority was climate because that's going to ensure, or more likely, make it so that we continue to have at least some food and shelter going forward as we address this mess. Right. I mean, that, but that would be an educational campaign, some kind of public awareness, a big, it would have to shift people's thinking altogether. And that's not where the energy is or not. And I don't mean energy like oil (laughs) and gas. I mean, that's not where the in, in certain countries, absolutely, that's the forefront, um, 100%. But let's say when I was in Colombia between 2000 and 2002, you still had the FARC, the AC. You had um, these guerrilla groups and that had taken over their country. And um, they would. the Colombians are amazing. They would take it right back with Arribe and um, with, with help. I remember Arribe's platform was like, hey... We want your guidance, the U.S., where prior it was kind of like, we want you to take our country back. And then when Arebe came in, it was such a shift. And he's like, we're going to take our country back and we could just use um, some guidance. uh, What's going on in Ukraine is very similar um, with um, the the people on the ground were like, we're going to take our country back. Mm -hmm. And that was quite the shift. Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful countries I've ever served in. I mean, their ecosystem, I mean, it's just gorgeous. I mean, they have got the, um, 
the beaches, the mountains, um, very similar to Costa Rica. And um, when I first got there, you couldn't even go into the mountains and enjoy the the environment because the gorillas were there and and um, it was so unsafe. And so to, to answer your question, it's not that they and I remember um, the stories were like we used to go camping and I can't even imagine it here with the mountains to, to tell people like, yeah, we once were able to camp in these beautiful mountains, but now we can't because it's not safe. And we're going to get kidnapped. And um, and so it's not that you're not looking at this incredible, gorgeous country and um, the environment, but let's face it, they had other things that that were first. That was first. Yeah. And we have to, I would like to think as a society, you know, we have to think about that and understand like, oh, why is this not the number one topic on any country? Mm-hmm. And you really have to understand what people are going through. Well, but the other thing is the, the uh, cautionary tale. But that is always something uh, for for people of privilege to slow down. It's, it's an option for people of privilege to slow down and say, okay, how do we need to be educating ourselves yep. and the children? How do we need to be working with this so that we don't end up having a similar situation to Colombia? Well, we could look to listen to people who have been in the Foreign Service you know, look to, it's not that we've been living in an insular way. There are people who can help us think about how to to be with this. How much time do we have to think? Right. You know, all of that. And and I, I also don't mean to be alarmist because I think we have, one of the things we forget in times like this is how strong the foundation is we stand on. We're here having this conversation because something's been working up to now. Right. This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. To shift a little bit away, um, yeah, 100%, I... Um, I'm alarmed at, especially Montana. Um, so I'm a physical therapist now and I have different, I see different patients, different demographics and listen to them. And, um, the fake news, the, where do we get our sources? Do we even understand what evidence-based news is or, or sources and um, concern what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter, um, the freedom of speech. And, and I'd like to think that the way the election went was kind of a, um, we didn't have that red wave. And I'm an independent. I want to be very clear. I have served every administration since, um, let's say, Bush won. Um, I'm definitely, an exchange of ideas is so important. I remember back in the Ford service, the two things you could never talk about was Israel and abortion. We'd laugh, you know, like to bring up now, it seems like you can't bring anything up to include climate change. (laughs) You know, you you tap dance a lot. Um, Because you'd get into an argument with your colleagues. It seems, or just, or just um, people in general, I, I would say, I'd like to think the the people I surround myself we're able to have conversations without it just exploding. Um, but in general, I have to watch it with um, 
if, if I don't know the group and it seems like we're doing this tap dance and I, I would like, I do feel like coming out of COVID, we're starting to be able to have more of these discussions. Um, I'm not sure where people are getting their news. I'm not, I, I'm, 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 um, sometimes wearing the mask was helpful because I would hear things from my patients that were just so absurd <laughs> and I didn't want them to see the face I had. <laughs> I was, um, and trying to be diplomatic and, and then I really want to delve deep and find out where are you getting this <laughs> and, and how, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. so so that's a part where I'm, I'm hoping certain things will normalize with our conversations, with the news. Go read. <laughs> read, please. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and I like, I do like The Economist, um, other people, but I like the, the, even the short notes that they give on different countries just to kind of get an idea. Then you can delve deeper and make your own opinions. There's some great podcasts out there. There's a lot, I mean, yours included. Um, getting back to the environment, we're in Bozeman, Montana, and we have like almost zero recycling. It's, it's, I can't even believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to try to recycle other than cardboard is such a pain in the butt. We're in Europe, in Portugal, in places it was so easy, and they make it easy. And here it's so hard. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how are we, <laughs> we're so privileged and this is such a, um, and we could figure it out. We could figure out, but we don't here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm on, you know, I'm passionate about so many things, but it's not enough for me. I serve on boards and whatnot, and it's not something that I'm going to make a priority. Yeah. And I haven't. So because the, the other things that come first on your yep. list. Yeah. And that's just, that's life. I do the best I can, but I could do much more. Well, so this is a kind of, um, I don't know how easy this question will be, but given what it is that you have spoken about, and as we come to the, the close here, what keeps you going? What gives you hope that you would give to listeners as something to consider? No matter what, this is still the greatest country I've ever served um, or lived in. I've lived in a lot and been in a lot. And regardless of even the growth in Bozeman, um, you know, I left here in 1990 and got back. I still love it. Um, the people, um, is, is upsetting as there's certain things. It's, we're still on the right path with the trails, with, um, there's a lot of things I could complain about, but, um, you know, if you're not part of the solution, right, you're part of the problem. So I can't, you know, I, I, all I can do is, um, focus on the things that I can control. And, um, I see, I, I tell people, turn the news off or the noise and focus on, you know, I can volunteer and control the things that are just in my world and try to make it a, a better place. And I, I do believe in people and um and our country and this in this world I, I really do and the it, natural world you're out in the world you're out yeah. in the mountains all the time all, all seasons i am <laughs> yeah and that's a place where you find yourself and find solace how is that for you it's coming back i'm a huge ultra runner um pretty much i've ran a, a 50 miler or 50k every year um I ski, I, I just, it's the quietude and I find peace and purpose out there 
and um, it has helped getting through COVID and it's beautiful, it's pristine. For example, if I saw like a polluted lake here, I would jump on that, like <laughs> get on it. Um, so whatever we're doing, we're doing well, I think. I'd like to, in, in the minute I start to see our environment here and that's all I can change. I'm not gonna start worrying about, I'm, you know, I'm a physical therapist now, I'm home. We have great people at embassies serving overseas and um, they are working on those issues. And, um, and so are, um, in these countries, you have a lot of great leaders doing the same thing. And um, I would just tell people all you can do is, you know, get out there, volunteer. If you're gonna look at Maslow's hierarchy, you know, the top is volunteering and giving back. And that's what we can do. There you have it. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. No, this is wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Find out more about Allie through the links in our show notes. Following our conversation, Allie forwarded some resources that may be of interest to readers who want to know more about the Foreign Service and ways to keep up with global perspectives. And now, before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on How It Looks From Here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone that you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Gary Ferguson. Music by Gary Ferguson and Cedar Mathers Wen. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at www.fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch.